Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. So we started a series last week that we're simply calling A Wonder to Many. A Wonder to Many. And that phrasing came out of Psalm 71, where we looked at last week, where the psalmist writes in the ESV, uh, let my life be a portent to many. And that word portent, uh, it's described kind of like wonder, although the English word doesn't quite capture it in wonder. The word portent really is like this miraculous working of God's power in someone, so much so that elicits both some awe and and also some fear. And I kind of introduced this series last week, and then my sister-in-law, we were having dinner uh, you know, right before the fast was starting to kick off and we were having family dinner, we were sitting down and she had just gotten back from the Grand Canyon. And she was like, I understood that word because I just felt that word when I stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon. I looked and I was amazed and I thought it was majestic and I thought it was beautiful. And I was also pretty scared. I was a little terrified. I wondered who might, who might it have been that created this with his breath. And it's incredible. And it's this idea that there's a wondrous power that is going on in the working of every single Christian. In every single Christian, you have the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in your life. And that wondrous, miraculous portent that has been poured out into your life should be evident to the people around you. And that's what this series has captured. And last week, what we talked about is that every single person has a testimony. Some, some testimonies start, well, I was in the gutter, addicted to this, strung my life out because of that. I was sold because of that. And it was down in the dumps, transformation, drugs to Jesus moment. And it's just like, oh my gosh, those are the incredible testimonies. What we said last week, that's not just the most incredible testimony. It's also incredible when God rescues you from the pit of your own self-righteousness. When you grew up in a Christian home, thinking that you could do everything on your own, thinking that you could save yourself by your own willpower, your own might, and God showed you that both parties are dead in their trespasses and sins, but God by his grace has made us alive together in Jesus Christ. That there is no, there is no lame testimony. I don't know how else to say it. There's no testimony that's just like, well, my testimony is kind of boring. No, there's not. You've been transferred from the domain of darkness and captured into, brought into the domain of light. That's amazing. Don't ever diminish the power of your own testimony. But we also have to recognize that God is continually doing a work in our life. It's not just enough for my faith today to rely on the transformational moment that happened when I was 17 years old and I gave my life to Jesus. I need to continually have this outworking of the spirit. If you want the big word, it's called sanctification. God is continually doing something in me to make me more like him. And before we jump into the sermon today, what I wanna just take a minute to do is to just just pause. I just wanna hit the pause button on your life for like three minutes. And I know this, like, this is probably going to feel a little weird, right? Because uh, I don't know if you're like me, but life's just busy. Life's a little loud. Life's a little chaotic. But we're just going to, this is what the students call it. They call it a holy hush. Where we just, we just take our overstimulated, uh, phone's always on, notifications are always coming in. There's always an email. There's always a conversation. There's always a kid talking. There's always something to do. And I'm going to say, nope, not for three minutes. Let's just stop right here. And let's ask the Spirit of God to highlight something that he's been doing in your life recently. And so here's, here's, here's the activity, okay? I want you to just prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to come into this moment right now. And it's gonna be quiet in here. It's gonna be awkward a little bit, but we can do this for three minutes, can't we? We're gonna sit here and we're gonna say, Holy Spirit, come. Show me where you're working in my life right now. Show me where you brought me through. 
And as we, as we do this, here's what I want to do. I wanna, there's going to be a slide that comes up on the screen. I just, we are asking that we would capture some stories of what God's been up to. And so if something comes to mind, it doesn't have to be this like, I was lying about being a Christian this whole time and I finally gave my faith to the Lord. And now like, I'm just all of a sudden like, okay, if that's your story, great. But if your story is like, I just, I just really needed to know that God was going to help me through this little thing that's going on at work right now. Cause this little thing feels like a big thing. And he actually, he didn't solve the thing that I was asking for him to pray, like that I was praying for, but God actually just kind of changed my perspective in the midst of it. That's just as miraculous as him actually showing up and changing the circumstance, isn't it? So if something comes to mind, don't listen, you don't have to make anything up. Can we throw that slide up though? It's just got a QR code or you can jump on the website, okay? And I just want you to take the minute to just punch in that story and send it to us. Cause I don't know if you're like me, but like, I'm like, cool. I'm gonna share some stories of what God's done during this time. And then I leave the church and then life starts happening. And I forget to write anything into the own website that I had the form that I like, I was like, Steph, can you make a form like this? And I forget to do it. So I'm sure that we all forget to do it too, right? So if you have something, write it in real quick, share it. Okay, but for the next three minutes, it is 9.38 right now. At 9.41, I will come back up and pray, all right? But for a moment, let's just say, come Holy Spirit, show me what you're doing in my life right now, all right? If you've got kids, pray with them, but let's take this moment and let's be still. Jesus, we just thank you for this time to sit and to listen to your voice. God, there are so many things competing for our attention. So many places we can turn to get distracted or to numb. Or maybe we're, maybe we're just flat busy and life just keeps going at this hurried pace. 
Thanks for a moment to sit in your presence. Thank you that we don't need the words of another to lead us into your presence. Thank you that we can just sit and we can call upon you and you will hear us from heaven. Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't take lightly the things that you're speaking to us right now. Help us to not be dismissive of them. Help us to not write them off as the enemy would have us do to just say, oh, this was something that I just thought of randomly. But God, help us to hold fast to the things that you've talked to us about this morning. Thank you for your voice. I pray that you would continue to speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can't we just admit, wasn't, like, wasn't that a little weird? Right? Wasn't it kind of nice though? Like, man, it's like, I was, man, if you got little kids in this room, like, I don't even know. Well, it was quiet, quiet there too. I don't even know how your little kids made it through that just now, but that was amazing. Let me just, let me read a couple stories real quick. Uh, for quite some time now, I felt lost and far away from God. I've been looking for a church home and came across Good Shepherd. I've only attended two Sundays so far, but I believe that this is where God wants me to be. I chose to fast in the sense that I have not been on any social media, nor, ha nor have I been watching television or streaming services. I've instead returned to listening to worship music to and from work, as well as opening my Bible and giving that a go again. I have to admit in just this short time, I'm beginning to feel so different inside. I feel peaceful and light. I have shed a lot of tears of release, thankfulness, etc. in the past few days as well. It has been so awesome to feel this way. Praise God. I, uh, I was going to actually just try and play, I got, this, I got this audio clip from one of our missionaries in Israel. You guys remember Eric Benson? Yeah. He's a New Yorker guy. He's in Israel and he just had this awesome accent. He just like, he was preaching when he was up here. You know what I mean? And it was like, you got three minutes. And he like, he took every minute of those three minutes and it was awesome. Um, his wife, Sophie, several complicating factors in her health, uh, some cancer stuff, things like that. And, and she got COVID and she was put on a ventilator. And I'll tell you what, we got a couple updates this week and it was, it was grim. Grim, grim. And uh, it was two days after she, after we had first kind of started praying about it, first it kind of the news had made its land here, two days later, and the situation seemed so bleak, so intense. And we get this, I got this voice memo from him in his New York accent, right? Or whatever it is, Boston, I don't even know where he's from, somewhere East Coast. And he's, uh, he's like, man, you wouldn't believe it. I walked in preparing myself for another long day at the hospital. I don't know if you've had a loved one at the hospital before, but those days can be long, right? preparing himself for another long day at the hospital to see his wife in a state that he never hoped to see her in. And, and she's awake and she's hungry and they drank tea together and he fed her breakfast and they began to talk. And they, and like, it was just this, like, she's still weak. She's, she's not there yet. She's not out of this season yet, but man, a miraculous turnaround in her health this week. Amen. Right. It's amazing. God still heals. God still moves. Sitting Tuesday morning, we were praying six o'clock in the morning. And I was struck by one of, the, one of the ladies that was there. It was about a little over a year ago that she got this diagnosis of cancer that seemed terrible, awful, scary. And, and it was like a few appointments went by and like news just kind of kept getting more complicated and worse. And it was just, it was about this time, it was about a year later. So just a couple months ago, we just got the note that she's cancer free. Her body's cancer free. She's healing. She's moving on. She's growing. It's amazing, right? Listen, I share these things just to remind you God is still moving. Remember in that root understanding of what the word testimony means in its original language, it means do it again. Do it again, Lord. And so when we share something from our testimony, we're prophetically asking, it's in Revelation, it says the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy is what it says. 
And what that's saying is it's that he'll do it again. Like he will do it again. He's able to do it again. And so we keep sharing because we keep asking. Uh, like, I mean, that first story I read, it, it's, not, it's not anything to like put a, put, write a book after, you know? But it's, man, I just started, I just cut out social media. I started reading my Bible again. I started praying again. And man, I just, I feel different. I feel this weightiness lifted off me. I've shed some tears. I've let go of some things. I'm moving in this right direction. Isn't that beautiful, church? That is what we're looking for. So don't, please, don't hesitate to reach out, say a story. We're gonna keep them anonymous unless you want it to be videoed or whatever. We'll figure all that out. But I'm just like, I so desperately want, I believe what God is calling us to in this series is that we're gonna kind of set something here down in the first part of the year. We're gonna say, no, God, we wanna hear more about what you're doing in our body. And I believe there's gonna be a miraculous amount of testimonies that we hear proclaimed out of this body. And when I say this body, look around. These faces, these people, us, our family here. So for this week, last week we looked at Psalm 71. We looked at how God is doing something powerfully in your life continually. It's not something he just once did. It's something he's doing. This week, what I wanna remind you of is that your testimony is not just about you. So if last week was maybe a little more cuddly and nice, maybe this week is gonna be a little more direct and honest, but in a way that I hope is helpful. God is writing a story in your life, not just for you, but also for the people around you. And maybe I could say it this way. God wants to be glorified in your story. God wants to be glorified in your story. I think the way that we will tell our testimonies from time to time, the way that we will share with other people about what God is doing in our life, we get this really therapeutic version of who God is and what he's doing in our life. Now, is, is following after the commands of God, following after the ways of God, is that gonna lead to a certain kind of lifestyle that would be described in the Bible as flourishing? yes. Absolutely. God's laws are given to lead us to life. But that doesn't mean that God has given his laws just for you. He also is very clear all throughout scripture that he is very interested in his own glory. Habakkuk, right? I love the way that Habakkuk writes this. It's like, so, so as the water covers the sea, so your glory will fill the earth, right? That verse in Habakkuk. I don't have it right, down, right in front of me. But like, I've, I've only been deep sea fishing once. And you know what I saw? Water. Everywhere. I was like, man, how far out there into the sea did we go? How, you know, I was with my uncle. How far into the ocean did we go? It was like 12 miles. I was like, no way. It was like thousands of more miles of water that we could have just looked at as we go. Like God is going to fill the earth with his glory. God is so glorious, so awesome, so majestic that the glory that he's asking for due his name does not make him narcissistic. It makes him good. Here, so here's, here's what I mean. The glory of the Lord, I think at times we can feel uncomfortable with that topic or we just don't know how to approach it because we don't know how to articulate what it really is. God's glory is his nature or the essence of who he is being put forth into public domain. So whether that is through the way that we're talking about him and we're proclaiming about who God is and we're telling people about his goodness, your goodness, it just keeps running after me. All my life, you have been faithful. When we're singing those things, when we're telling about who God is, we are glorifying him because we're putting the truth about who God is into public domain. When we see things, when we witness things, uh, in Romans chapter one, it says, the invisible attributes of God, God have made, been made plain to see how in the heck does that work? How do you make invisible qualities plain to see in all of creation? It's because when you see the Rocky Mountains, when you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, I've never been there personally, 
When you see the sunset, when you see a sunrise, you are left longing, like C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself no desires that this world can satisfy, I must belong to a different world. When I see things that look out of this world, when I see things that are so beautiful, so awe-inspiring, it doesn't make me just go, man, I'm awesome. Look at that sunset. I, I, I am amazing, aren't I? It's just like, way to go me. Like, I saw that. I got it on my Instagram. Did you guys see? The, nobody likes the pictures of the fireworks or the sunset on your phone as much as they like actually seeing it in person. No, but rather it creates this wonder in us where we just go, somebody else has done that for sure. Somebody else needs to get credit for that. There's not enough credit in just assuming that that is just happening. There's something beyond this picturesque thing that I'm seeing. There's a glory that we should be wondering about. And so God is not narcissistic in us, in us glorifying him because when we rightly glorify his name, it's the best thing that can happen for us. It's like, if I were to just guess, not your Instagram reel, but the people that you follow, okay? This is, that's who I'm talking about this morning is the people that you follow on Instagram, not your own Instagram, okay? My guess is it's not just a bunch of like, man, you know, was really struggling with depression this morning. Man, was really anxious about getting the kids out the door. Man, as a mom, just really filled with comparing myself to other moms who all seem to all have it together. Their kids only eat organic snacks and they have their kids in six activities at once and they're all learning Mandarin right now. And I don't feel inadequate as a mom at all. I'm guessing that's not what we're seeing when we see your Instagram feed. Is that right? But that, that is you taking snippets of your life and you're putting them out there for the world to see. When God does that, He's putting his real attributes out there. He's not insecure in heaven going, why won't my creation like me? No, he's, he's good. He, like he's not insecure in himself at all. But what he is doing is he's saying, I've made myself known to my creation. I've put my majesty all throughout the created order, all throughout creation. I have written the story of redemption throughout the arc of human history. I'm trying to draw people to myself. And in that, he's trying to receive the glory that's due his name. And in that, what he's doing is he's trying to seek your best interest out in mind. God, we say it this way, God is for God because God is the most good thing for your soul. And so when he's trying to seek your attention, when he's trying to pull your eyes up to him, it's not because he's deficient in anything. Do we got that? But what he's trying to do is he's trying to instill something in you where he's like, you need my character. You need me. I'm the author and the perfecter of life. And what you need most in your human soul is me. I love this verse. We use it all the time. But in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes it this way. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he says, we all, with unveiled face. What he's talking about there is Jesus has, Jesus has paid the price for the sin. He's taken care of the Old Testament system of sacrifice. He's fulfilled it in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And now the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of all of us has been torn. And now we have this access into God the Father. And now with unveiled face, we don't have to see him like Moses looked with a veil. We see him as he really is, even in part now. Because one day the glory of the Lord is going to be so magnificent, you know, it says in Revelation, that we're not going to need the sun or the moon. And that that blows my little health and exercise science brain out of the water, right? Like somehow the glory of the Lord is gonna refine the whole world that we're living in so that we don't feel any of the consequences of sin, death, and disease anymore. And we're not gonna need a sun or a moon when we're in heaven because Jesus will be there. And that's awesome. 
but it says, with all with unveiled face, beholding, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim. This is, that's the word behold. It, like, I, I didn't even know that was coming for the song today. I didn't even know, that, they didn't even know I was using this verse. But if we could describe beholding in the song, it would be turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Here's how I'll say it. Get your eyes off of your own problems and the own shortcomings that you have in your life and the own things in your life that are going awesome. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that is how the apostle Paul says, you're gonna be transformed into the image of the son. So you wanna be more like Jesus. You don't just necessarily just white knuckle this reading plan to death that you're on this year. Now, should you be on a reading plan? Yeah, absolutely. Read scripture. How are you gonna to get to know Jesus? How are you gonna behold him without his word? But I'm just saying, your just rugged discipline to just pray in the morning and to spend time reading the word, that's not what is by itself going to change you. Because what you do in that moment is you miss that a quiet time, time with Jesus is about seeing him. And if we don't see him, if we don't behold him, if we don't, if we don't just take a second and think about his character, think about the hope he's given us in the resurrection. If we don't think about the, the goodness that he has in saving us, if we don't think about the mercy and the kindness that he's poured out in our life, if we don't think about the ways that he's been generous to us. If you don't behold his attributes, his glory that he's put out into public domain for us to read and for us to sing and for us to study and for us to meditate on, if we don't do that, we're never gonna be transformed. You're not transformed by your resolutions this year. You're transformed by beholding the sun. You wanna have some resolutions? You wanna get a little healthier? Go for it. I'm just saying, if you wanna change, if you want soul level change, if you wanna address the brokenness that's going on in your heart right now, if you wanna identify some of the places where you are weak, where you are thin, if you wanna just, just get rid of some of the places where you're being arrogant and cocky, you're gonna find it in beholding the sun. Behold him. That's how we are transformed one degree of glory at a time. This is such, such good news for us this morning. Like it's, it's, not, it's not just found in your moral superiority ladder climb that you're on with everyone else in your life. It's not you, like I'm, I'm dogging on Instagram, but it's not in you trying to show that you have this life on Instagram and look at me and make sure you like me. So I get that little dopamine hit every time you click that little heart button and make sure you comment. Oh my gosh, girl. Yes, slay, go queen. You know, uh, whatever things you're gonna put in the comment section. <laughs> How much of it is just us looking for other people to validate me? And in our deficiency, it is the meek that will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit is what Jesus says. Why? Because those are the ones that are gonna lift their eyes up upon the hill. They're gonna turn their eyes to Jesus and they're gonna ask for him. They're gonna ask for him to intervene, him to help because it's not found in you solving all your problems. Don't get me wrong. Your testimony is powerful for you, but your testimony is not just written for you. It's written in your story so that you can glorify Jesus. Because as you lift your eyes up to Jesus, what you're gonna do inevitably is you're gonna draw other people up to him as well. But now I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes. Romans chapter 20 shows us that even when we are most deficient, that is when God can be most magnified and glorified in us. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Okay, the law came in to increase the trespass. What Paul's trying to say to us here is that the law, the Old Testament law, the rules given by God are, are really just this MRI to point out to you that, hey, you can't do this. So the law is given and trespass increases. 
So all of a sudden now, the amount of times we're breaking the law increases because the law is just revealing to all of us that we never really stood a chance in the first place. And so why was the law given? In Like trespass increases, sin abounds, and then grace abounds all the more. So why did God give the law? So we could realize our sin. And when we realize our sin, we turn to his grace. And when we turn to his grace, his grace can abound. So even in my weakness, he is made to look strong. Here's the other bit of good news. Like your testimony, the amount of times you've failed him, the amount of times you've fallen short, the amount of times that you've come up like lower than what you were supposed to, but the amount of times you missed the mark are all opportunities for you now to testify that it was God who overcame that shortcoming on your end. It was Jesus's death on the cross that paid for that sin. It was Jesus's death on the cross that, that helped you when you were missing the mark consistently. He said, no, no, you were never gonna do it on your own. The law just shows you, you were never gonna make it. You were never gonna make it. But the righteousness of Christ has been given to you. And so in grace, we might, we might shout from the rooftops that I have been set free. As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign now through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we give glory to him when we acknowledge our mistakes, when we acknowledge our mistakes and recognize that we need his grace to save us. So this, this all sounds really good. And I think this, like, this is like a good rally cry where you're just like, oh man, if, I was, if you're down in the dumps a little bit, you're like, okay, here we go. Kind of got my mind set back on track. Like I can make much of Jesus' name, even if my life isn't perfect. And by, by the way, Everyone always like wants to make this a conversation then about cheap grace. So let's just identify that real quick. Like in no means at all, by the way I'm trying to communicate here, does it mean that you can just take abuse of the grace of Jesus Christ by continuing to sin? Paul says, by no means should we ever be thinking that way. But what we have to acknowledge is that even as Christians saved today, sitting in this room, you still have sin that's going on in your life right now, currently. And so if we want to make much of Jesus, if we want to glorify him, we're gonna recognize that we need his grace to overcome that sin even still today, amen? So I think where this conversation starts to get a little tricky, when we start to talk about our, testify, our, our testimony being given to us to glorify the name of Jesus, that starts to get a little murky when you start to think about the conversation of suffering. You start to go, well, wait, so, so am, I, am I suffering? Is my suffering, God, you're saying God's just using that. Does that not make him cruel? Does that not make him evil? I don't know if you caught it last week, but as we read through Psalm 71, uh, verses 20 and 21, I think they're the harder verses to read out of that whole Psalm. It says, you, God, who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. Now, the latter half of that verse is great, right? God, you'll pick me up again. I fall down seven times, you'll pick me up an eighth, right? It's just like, God, yeah, of course. But what about the first few lines of that? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. So you're saying that God could have pulled me from something. God could have not let something happen in my life. God could have maybe sidetracked some suffering that was going on in my life and he chose not to. Well, why? You have to embrace that suffering is gonna either produce in your heart a bitter root of resentment towards God or it's gonna produce the life change and the transformation that he intends for you. But as the saying goes, the same sun that hardens the clay will melt the ice. So we have, to, we have to internalize every time there's suffering going on, it is not God who is inflicting that upon us, but it is God who wants to use that to grow something real in us. So I don't know what it is that you're going through right now. I don't know where it is that you're suffering in your life, but I do know this. I know that God is wanting to grow something of maturity in you right now because our immaturities will be revealed really quickly in times of suffering. Katie and I, 
were reflecting on this just a couple of days ago. Our, our life, I, I'm like, we just have not been through a lot of significant suffering. And I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to know now at this point, I, I've, been, I've been pastoring long enough now to know uh, that that is not gonna last forever in our life. There will be times when we walk through the thick of it. But up until now, you know, we haven't walked through much difficult things. And that was the thought we had back in 2016. Man, life's just not this difficult right now. When we were sitting somewhere right back there in a church service, just like this in this building, and God highlighted the word adopt on the screen for us. So we started to pursue, we, okay, feel like God's calling us to adopt. And then we check the Bible because anytime you get a word from God, anytime you get some of these thoughts that come in your head, you kind of go, okay, now what does scripture say? Well, it turns out God's pretty pro-adoption as evidenced by every single son or daughter of Christ in this room right now, all adopted into the faith. Are you tracking with me? Like nobody, I don't know any Jewish people in this room, but I'm just saying, and even Jewish people, if you go back all the way, like Abraham adopted into God's family. You know what I'm saying? It's like God pro-adoption. Yes, he is, turns out. Well, so we, long story short, we end up pursuing foster care. We end up saying, we go, God, our yes is on the table. Whatever the phone call may come, which in hindsight, I don't know if this was wisdom or if this was just like kind of dumb faith, you know? <laughs> we said, we're gonna take the first phone call. First phone, phone call that comes in, our yes is on the table, Lord. You, like, we're, we're, we belong to you. And so, uh, phone call rings, not, not much longer. We welcome in three boys, uh, ages six months, uh, one and three. Our other kids were two and four. So if you do the math, bunch of kids, right? It's just crazy. Um, and I'll tell you what, it put us in really pro- close proximity with their suffering. And our journey went with them for about a year. And then uh, they ended up going back into their home uh, until our phone call, a phone call came uh, a few years later. This now was in 2019. This now was in the, I had this like kind of few month window where Kent and I had begun to arrange, like we knew what the transition was going to look like. We knew about his timeline for when he was going to retire. We knew when it was going to be put forth in front of the congregation for you all to vote to decide if I was going to be your next lead pastor, right? And so our phone call rings in November and I was ready to enjoy just this last Christmas where I wasn't preaching Christmas Eve service and I got to just attend with my family and sing Silent Night, blow out the candle and we'd have a really pleasant evening. And our phone call came to realize that the three boys that we had fostered had since had another son. That son had just been killed in a car accident and the oldest had been ejected from that car, probably should have died. And all the circumstances that transpired after that resulted in them going back into the foster care system. We now had kinship because we had been with them for just about a year. So we were one of the first calls. So we got that call. And I will tell you, as your pastor, full humility, full transparency, I threw a gigantic fit. She's laughing the loudest because she was there. We were in the driveline to pick up our kids, evaluating whether this was gonna be the right decision for us. And because listen, the last time we took them for a year, it was, it was supposed to be a month. And then after that month, it was gonna be maybe just another two more weeks and the parents were having things back on track. And then after that, it was gonna be another month. And then eventually it was like, listen, just don't tell me until I should pack their bags, right? We just, we're gonna love them. We're gonna pour ourselves out for them uh, until you're ready to take them somewhere else, okay? So I was like, they're saying 30 days and that with the state doesn't mean 30 days. And so, they came into, I, I, I'm just telling you, the suffering, because I, I, it's not just the suffering that we went through. Like, yeah, there is some of that. We, we would lay aside our time. We'd lay aside things that we had going on in that season. We'd lay aside the Christmas and the Thanksgiving that we'd kind of dreamed about. And we just kind of set it all aside for now. And we just said, okay, we're gonna take these boys. So that's, that's a little bit of suffering. But mostly what I'm talking about is we became really like close proximity to their suffering. Do you know what it, like, some of these boys have been through things that some people in this room still, you're 60 years old and you haven't been through the kind of trauma they've been through already in their short little lives. And you get in close proximity with that kind of suffering. But here's what it did in me. Here's what suffering produced in me. Wow, there's a lot of immaturity there. There's a lot of selfishness there. 
that selfishness would have never been revealed in my heart had I not gotten that phone call to take them into my house. See, so suffering has this way of yielding something in you. And I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know if it's a cancer diagnosis. I don't know if it's a marriage that's falling apart. And I, I'm, if, just so you know, if you ever call me and you ask for me to come pray with you, I'm gonna pray on the miraculous power in Jesus' name that something would change. But I'm also gonna ask that even if the circumstances never change, that God would yield the maturing factor that he's looking for in your life right now. That the idolatry of comfort, that the idolatry of your health, whatever it is where you have put your hope and your stake in something other than Jesus, that that would be crushed in this time and that he would yield his fruitful work of righteousness in you. So is it mean of God? Is it mean of God to allow you to endure suffering? No, because what he's trying to give you most in that time is more of himself. So that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't fear no evil. Why? Because he's with you. God's presence is what he wants to give to you in the middle of suffering. What he wants to reveal to you is places where you've misplaced your hope, misplaced your trust, and you've put it in other places. And those things are now failing you. You've done all the CrossFit exercises. You've, you've eaten all the blueberries and spinach in your life, and you still get this call that this diagnosis is going on right now? Well, guess what? We should not be considering this light momentary affliction worthy of comparing to that future glory with Jesus. What's Paul saying in that moment? Man, come what may during this time, I have my eyes fixed on what Jesus is offering for me for forever. So you're telling me Jesus wants to put me through a little minor month-long inconvenience before I start lead pastors at this church? God's like, yeah, I'll do it. You got some things you got to work out in your own heart before you start this thing, right? I'm not trying to make light of your suffering, whatever it is that you're going through. I am telling you though, be careful. When you suffer, we tend to throw accusations towards God and we, we tend to elevate the things that we've done in our life to make ourselves feel better rather than to go, okay, God, what is it that you're trying to form in me right now? When you read through Psalm 71, the, the prayer that this guy is praying up to God is familiar. You don't get the sense that he has a lot of questions about, God, what are you doing to me right now? Why are you letting me go through this? He's saying, he's saying I will fix my eyes on you. You have always been the place where I've retreated to you to help. You have always been my refuge. I will continually praise you. Yet will I praise you more and more. All of these things, he's saying, my, my focus is on you. My focus is on Jesus. I'm asking what he wants to do in me during this time. The same sun that hardens the clay melts the ice. I'm not saying God is putting you through this right now, but God is wanting to use this season right now that you're going through to form something in you that I can promise you. And once you start to understand that your testimony is not just like this means to escape suffering, but a means on getting through suffering with Christ, do you feel the difference in that? It's massive. Like we, we should not just quickly pray away all the suffering that's going on in our life. Can we jump to the first Peter verse? Be sober-minded, Peter says. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter's like, hey, you know what the devil would love to do in the middle of your suffering? He'd love to say things in your ear like, this is your fault that you're going through this. You haven't dealt with this. And so, man, this is your own sin that's causing this problem in your life. No one's with you right now. Nobody cares about the suffering that you're enduring right now. You, listen, you are in this by yourself. You got yourself into this mess, you can get yourself out of it. That sound like the devil? But what God's trying to say is, son, daughter, I love you. 
I'm not taking this away just yet. I'm going to let it sit a little longer. Because when God does his best work, he's like a surgeon, not just hacking away, causing pain unintentionally, but with a scalpel, precisely removing the things that are only going to yield death in your life. And he's trying to reveal to you the place where you're selfish, reveal to you the place where you're prideful, where you're arrogant, where you've neglected him, whatever it is. He's only doing that to get to the deepest wound so that he might apply his healing balm of the gospel and bring you forward into life because he's good and he's worth glorifying. And when you can have this shift in your mind that your testimony doesn't just seek to serve you so that you wouldn't suffer, I'm sorry if the gospel got communicated to you at some point that become a Christian and everything in your life will go better. Because it's a lie. Become a Christian. You're going to encounter trials of many kinds and Christ is going to be enough to get you through every single one of them. That's the truth of the gospel. And one day, He's going to set all of this back so that we're going to look back in eternity one day. And when 10,000 years has gone by, this trouble isn't going to seem like as big of a deal. When you understand that, you start to realize that my testimony actually has been given to me for somebody else to hear. So we see in Matthew, Taylor read this verse this week in the prayer time. It just kind of stuck out to me. But Jesus is saying he's to, his, to his disciples, he turns to them, he says, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's, it's weird that we're, we're always praying for like these crazy things to happen, praying for people to come to know the Lord. But, but I, Jesus challenges us here to actually be praying that people would go out and share their story. Pray that the workers would be many. Pray that the workers would get out into the harvest field because the harvest, listen, I've been out there recently. It is dark. It is far off from God in some places. There are evil, heinous, tragic things going on all the time. The harvest then for righteousness is plentiful but the workers are few. I don't think so. I'm sitting in a room of a few hundred people. We have workers all over this room. You're only going to be a worker though if you get involved in the game. You're only going to be a worker if you go out and you start telling the story of what God has done in your life because your story isn't just being written for you. It's being written for the person that's next to you in your life. So go, like, are you sharing the gospel with somebody? Are you telling about the things of God to somebody? Even in this fast, I think we have this weird, like, man, we know that Jesus says, don't like look like you're dying when you're fasting, right? And I get that. Like Pharisees are like trying to look all gaunt and, you know, they're just like, look at me, I'm so holy. But I think that's made us a little afraid to talk about the fact that we're fasting. It's like, man, make sure you don't come across as holier than thou when you talk to somebody who's not a part of the church about fasting. But man, you can let somebody know you're fasting. You can let them know. Man, listen, no, like I'm just, I'm really trying to pursue after Jesus. And, and honestly, it's a little embarrassing, but I'm a little weak in my flesh. I almost ate, a, I almost ate 12 donuts this week, even though I'm trying to fast. <laughs> and I almost ate them all before anyone else even came in the kitchen. Like I was just gonna pop, 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 and then just like throw them away, right? You, are you talking about the things of God with the people in your life? The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. It's the people who are willing to go who are hungry for the things of God, who are desperate for Jesus to break loose into somebody else's life, desperate to share the grace, the mercy of God that they've experienced personally. The workers are few. Matthew 4, Matthew 5, 14, I should say. We'll end with this. Jesus, just remind, uh, we've read this verse, I think three or four times in the last six months, but I'm just gonna remind you one more time. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Hold on. You are the light of the world. God has entrusted you with this beacon of hope 
He's put his presence inside of you. He's brought you from the domain of darkness, put you into the kingdom of light. He's saved you. He's set you free. He's, he's doing a work in you. You're not all the way there yet, but man, you should see where you used to be. Little by little, one degree of glory. You're beholding him. You're becoming like him. You're being transformed. He's put this light in you. We can say like the local church is the hope of the world because the hope of, the hope of Christ is in every single one of us. You're the light of the world. And so a city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. When you consistently go day by day and you never share your faith with anyone around you, you've put a basket over the light that God has entrusted to you. It says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. You've been placed strategically by God where you work, where you play, in your family. You've been placed there to shine the light of Jesus onto those people around you. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give what? Glory. It comes back to the glory of the Lord. He wants to make much of his own name. See, because when we're narcissistic and we're looking for all this attention, we can't actually do anything with that. Someone's like, man, I love your Instagram. Like, I love that post. You're really awesome. It's like, who cares? You can't change anything in somebody else's life. You can't, you can't even control whether the amount of head, the hairs on your head stay there much longer right? But when Jesus is trying to draw attention to himself, it's so that he can transform people. It's so that he can set people free. It's so that he can give them a future and a hope, right? He says, let me be glorified in your story. Let me be seen in what's happening to the world around you so that they may see your good works, the things that you're doing, and give that attention to Jesus. Give that attention to your father who is in heaven. Would you stand? Love to pray. If you would, would you just kind of cup your hands out in front of you like this, just posturing yourself to receive. All I just want to say, it's simple. It's just Holy Spirit, we're open to you. Holy Spirit, our yes is on the table for wherever you want us to go. Jesus, we want to, we want to fix our gaze on you this week. Help us not just focus on the negative sides of fasting, but help us to see you better. Help us to spend more time with you, worship you, read about you, talk to you. Lord, and then would you just send us wherever we are, help us know that we're your, we're your representative where you've placed us, God. Help us be a light everywhere we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 